The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. So, why did I play that? <laughs> um, I don't know, when I was maybe 16 or 17, uh, I, got asked to ask, I got asked to teach at a conference. It was like, not a conference, it was like a lock-in, a kid's lock-in, a youth lock-in, where you have to stay up all night long uh, with high schoolers and you don't get to sleep, and I got asked to speak, and the, the theme of it was called Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll, and um, the three teachings throughout the night were sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and they decided to have me do the sex teaching at 4 a.m. in the morning, which <laughs> was absolutely horrible, um, but I just, I don't know that I really understood the gospel at that point, and I gave a message somewhat kind of like the one that he just explained um, that was sort of almost beating over the head people with uh, with sexual sin and why you shouldn't do it. Um, and teenage girls wept, <laughs> and I thought that was a success. <laughs> there was so many people in the room crying, um, but, but the whole crescendo, as he said, the crescendo of my teaching was, don't, don't screw up sex. Don't mess it up. God made it a certain way. And, and, and people cried, and then I never followed it up <laughs> with the whole thing, the only thing that ever really matters in life, and that is Jesus that he loves that rose, that he wants that rose. Um, and the reason I play that tonight with intentionality uh, right up front is because I want you guys to know that we're gonna talk about some things in here um, that is gonna hurt to hear. Uh, we're gonna talk about things that uh, is tough to swallow that the Bible says about sex and uh, what it is and what it isn't and how it's abused and how uh, we've abused people with it and been abused by it, etc. And I want you guys to understand that before we say anything more that Jesus loves you. No matter what you have done, he sent his son to cover and to clothe all of the filthy things that you and I have all done with beautiful and perfect righteousness. And we have to understand that before we approach this subject. It's the most important thing, and I'll say it all throughout. Everybody agree? Amen? There's forgiveness to be found in Jesus. That's why he came. If this world wasn't jacked, if sex wasn't jacked up, he wouldn't have had to come in the first place, and he had to. He had to come. Amen? Um, can we get all the lights on? I think there's one more bank over here. There it is. Cool. I didn't want you guys to be in the dark over here. Um, let's pray, and we'll get started. Father, uh, God, I just want to approach this subject with uh, humility. Lord, I want to approach this subject uh, really hungering and search, uh, thirsting for wisdom and, and truth from you regarding this subject, God. Um, this is not something that is easily explained. It's complex. You made it. <laughs> and God, I pray that we would have open hearts and that, Lord, we would learn tonight uh, what this beautiful thing is that you designed, what you designed it for, and most importantly, Jesus, how you've redeemed it and how you've redeemed us. So God, we love you. We thank you. We trust you tonight. We want to hear from you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, I got the subject of sex uh, out, out, of, out of all these, and, and I was actually kind of excited about it because it was somewhat of, a, I think, hopefully a redemption for me, <laughs> this opportunity to teach about it years ago, and I, and I totally missed, uh, like an idiot, the opportunity to, to preach the gospel. Um, so it's a little bit of a redemption for me, but it's just so funny, this, the, the buzz around sex. Even this week, just telling people what I was teaching about and, and having conversations about, about my study time and prep time. It's just, sex is this funny thing where everyone gets kind of like, ugh, like a little like awkward. You know, it's, it's like this, oh, we don't 
really usually talk about that at church. It's a little weird. Uh, it's something that's just personal. You're not supposed to talk about that. You're not supposed to bring it up. Um, but the reality is, is we need to. We need to talk about it. We have to talk about it. I don't know if you guys have been looking at the news or watching the news or looking at the world around you. You have to be completely blind not to see it. Um, There's intentionality that we picked the subjects that we did. Abortion last week, Jeff did a killer job on that because it's a big deal right now in our culture. And sex, if you haven't noticed, is a huge thing in our culture. We are obsessed with it. Everything in our culture is centered primarily around sex, it seems. I honestly, I don't know if I can think of a subject that is more talked about, at least in our context, in our country, than sex. It's just constantly, over and over, talked about. Every year, billions upon billions of dollars are spent, and, 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 and billions of millions of dollars are, are spent purchasing anything and everything surrounding sex, Okay, uh, and that's, that's, that's vast. We have sex jokes, we have sex songs, sex movies, we have uh, sex shows, blogs, books, magazines, uh, sex addicts, sex victims. I mean, just so much of our culture is saturated in this topic. It's everywhere. And let me just say this because you, you, have, to, you have to understand, you cannot escape it. Okay, you cannot escape it. You can't go to the mall. You can't drive down a road, many roads in Medford without seeing a porn shop. You can't go to the mall, uh, I already said that. You can't go to a lot of places or anywhere, watch the news, get on the internet, read a blog without being faced with a version of sex, okay? So we just got to get the elephant out in the room and say, we're going to talk about it. And it's not, it shouldn't be weird because the world's not making it weird. The world's talking about it a lot. The world's teaching our kids. The world's educating our kids on what it is. We have to talk about it. We have to get into it. Um, look at any of the biggest stories that you're going to see in the news. They're almost always surrounding sex, sexual scandal. Uh, Josh Duggar recently, uh, less recently Bill Clinton, uh, Will Cosby, the whole Ashley Madison thing. So many times the biggest news stories in the news are surrounded uh, by sexual scandal. We live in a sexually obsessed culture. That's just the way that it is. And it has, this is nothing new, okay? This isn't something that just started uh, the sexual revolution. That's just really not true. This is something that's actually been going on for a long time, pretty much since the beginning of man, as we'll see. You look back at just about any historical culture, you're going to find remnants of sex being a big deal in their culture, especially in the Greco-Roman culture. We find that they had lots of temples and, and that sex was this huge part of their worship to their pagan gods. They had temple prostitutes. Um, kings had harems. Uh, it's, this has been around for a long time. And believe it or not, we're probably not the most uh, sexually abusive culture that there has ever been. In fact, we, we still have a ways to go, okay? Uh, the, you name it, the Roman, uh, Greco-Roman era, they did it. I mean, they did it. It's all been done before, homosexuality, bestiality, pedophilia, all of this stuff, it's been done. It's nothing new. The abuse of sex is nothing new, but it has to be understood. It has to be talked about. We're not the first ones to do this. Um, now, the church, unfortunately, just like the video kind of just said there, the church has done a horrible job at explaining what God had intended for sex. Just absolutely horrible job. A horrible job. The church historically has done one of two things. It's one, done, one either it's ignored sex, which means you just don't talk about it, okay? You just don't bring it up. Um, or secondly, it's demonized it, which means it's just bad. It's just bad. Anything about it is shameful. Anything to do with it is, is embarrassing. Uh, so either ignore it or they demonize it. But either way, it's not, I don't think, God's heart or intention for sex 
Why are humans so obsessed with this subject? Why, why, why is there so much in our culture and history that's, that's sort of centered around sexuality? Well, number one, I think it's because we're sexual beings. God created us that way, as we'll see. God made us and wired us to be that way, to long for romance, to long for intimacy, for those types of things. But secondly, and I think even more so, the reason we're obsessed with sex in our culture is because we don't understand it. Because it's really confusing. I don't mean the physicality of it. I think most of us can figure that out. I mean the spiritual side of it. I mean the complexity of what sex actually is because it's bigger than any of us fully understand. And we're actually intrigued by things that we don't understand, aren't we? I mean, I just went to the ocean yesterday with my, my family, and it's just like you can stare at the ocean forever, and it's intriguing because it's huge, and it's deep. There's parts that we haven't found the bottoms of it yet. I mean, it's, it's just, you can look at space and you think, man, there's so much out there we don't understand. There's so much complexity or the human body. We're still studying the human body and cells and doing research on the very bodies that we live in. And it's intriguing because we don't get it. I think the reason that sex is talked about so much, especially in secular culture and even in Christian culture, is because we don't get it. It's complex. We don't understand what it is. And hopefully tonight I'll be able to help you guys out with that biblically a little bit. Um, why are we so confused? Why are we so conflicted about it? Well, <laughs> it's because we've basically been given something that's very complex and we didn't read the instruction manual. We don't understand what it was for. Here's a, an interesting example I've used before. Uh, if you went back, let's say, 6,000 years to some of the earliest men that lived in whatever caves, mud huts, whatever they lived in, um, and, and you, you brought an iPad, he brought the new iPad and you said, hey, I just want to give this to you guys. All I'm going to tell you about it is that it's called an iPad. Just figure it out. Okay, and then you leave, and you came back. I just, curiosity, what would a man 6,000 years ago do with that iPad, I wonder? He may possibly use it as a plate, you know, eat a stew out of, uh, possibly a brick, maybe put it into a building, maybe a shovel. Uh, you can pretty much guess he wouldn't use it for what it was intended to be used for. Why? Because he has no understanding of the complexity of how that thing has been built, he doesn't understand all of the thought that was put into it and, and, and how it's a tool to be used for very specific and beautiful and awesome things. Um, he, he would be completely confused by it. This is essentially what we've done in our culture, apart from God. If we don't understand how we made it and what he made it for, this is exactly what we've done with sexuality. We don't, we don't understand unless we go to the source of what it was created for, who it was created by. So that's what we're going to do. You guys ready? Okay. We're going to take a look, first of all, at the biblical view of sexuality. This is a biblical worldview series. And just to reiterate something Jeff said last week, this is not necessarily your typical through the Bible, verse by verse, sermon-esque kind of thing. This is going to be more of a lecture type of feel, which means there's a lot of information. Um, it's going to be, uh, it's, it's a topical study, okay? So we're going to look at different places in Scripture, but we're not necessarily going to work through one primary text. Having said that, does the Bible talk about sex? What do you think? Yes, the Bible does talk about sex. In fact, the Bible talks about it quite a lot. Um, so much so, there's actually a book, you guys may have heard of it, called The Song of Solomon that is almost entirely about, the, the, it's it's almost entirely about sex. It's about a relationship between Solomon and his bride and their, their marriage and their romance and a lot of things in there might shock you, might surprise you. Uh, here's one of them, Song of Solomon 1-2. Uh, let's see if I can make you a little uncomfortable. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. Here's, okay, this one you have to read in the King James, because if you don't, it's just not nearly as funny. Uh, he shall lie all night betwixt my breasts. That's, uh, the betwixt is the funny part. Um, <laughs> 
ESV just doesn't, just doesn't do it on that one. Uh, Song of Solomon 2.3, I sat down under his shadow with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. Uh, yeah, your stature is like a palm tree. This is intense. Your breasts are like its clusters. I say I will climb the palm tree, lay hold of its fruit. I may... <laughs> Oh, may your breasts be like clusters of the vine and the scent of your breath like apples. That may not seem that weird until you watch someone try to climb a palm tree. Uh, that would be pretty intense. So the, <laughs> the Bible talks about sex. And here's the thing, and we can laugh about it, um, and, and I think it's okay, um, because God doesn't make sex awkward, okay? Uh, I can just tell you guys, and, and I was raised in the church, it feels awkward for me to get up here and talk to you guys about sex. And I don't think it should. I don't think it should, because you know what? God isn't awkward about it. God isn't awkward about it. He, he makes it very clear what it is. He tells us how he designed it, what he designed it for, the, the parameters on which we're supposed to do it in, and he doesn't blush. And so why should we? And why is the church so afraid and so scared to talk about something God designed? The Bible doesn't shy away from it. People have tried so hard to allegorize the book of Song of Solomon, but in the reality, just cut it out. I mean, it's about a, a married couple and their romance and their sex life. I mean, and, and it's beautiful. There's nothing promiscuous about the book of Song of Solomon. It's actually very beautiful. It's a very cool, poetic story about what God's intention was for marriage. Solomon blew it later. Keep reading. But, you know, what are you going to do? He's a man. Um, he's a sinner. Okay. Um, now, the Bible not only talks about sex openly, and honestly, it also gives us the origin of sex. It gives us the purpose of sex. It gives us God's intent for sex. So let's start there. Go to Genesis chapter 1. If you guys have your Bibles, best place to start always is the, in the beginning. Um, God doesn't waste any time. He actually talks about sex right away. So Genesis 1.1. If you don't have a Bible, it's up on the screen. We're going to work a little bit, kind of work expositionally through a little bit of text here. Um, and I think a lot of the information we're looking for is actually right here in Genesis so Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And stop there. The heavens and the earth is sort of a Jewish idiom for everything. God just made it all. He made everything, including what? Sexuality, okay? God designed all of it. He made the heavens. He made the earth. Skip down to verse 31. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was what? Very good. Everything that he made was very good, including sexuality. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. God is a creator, okay? God is a creator. He is a master designer, and he doesn't make garbage. He doesn't make garbage. He doesn't make things that are jacked up, screwed up. He makes beautiful things, things that are good and things that are to be enjoyed. It's not an accident that he made sex the way that he did. He did it on purpose, to be enjoyed. It's something to be enjoyed between a husband and a wife often, okay? Um, sex is God's idea. He thought it up. He made it up, okay? It's not some weird thing that God's like, oh, just stay away from that. No, he designed it. He is the origin of it and all of the things that go with that, okay? I had a list of things that I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna read them. All of the things that go with sex, okay? The romance, all of the stuff that you can fill in the blanks, that all goes with that was all God's idea. He thought that up. All the things that you enjoy with your spouse, that was his idea. Thank you, God, so much for making up that stuff. He created us as sexual beings. It's not an accident. It's not an accident that you have sexual longings, that you have intimacy longings, that you want to be known and know somebody in marriage. It's not an accident. He did that on purpose. Now, look at Genesis 2, verse 18. Flip a page or whatever you got to do. 2, 18. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. 
I will make him a helper fit for him. So man was not complete. Now, I'm trying not to go too much into the marriage stuff because we actually have a teaching on marriage coming up. So we'll, we'll talk more about some of this stuff then. Uh, verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. He did that because he didn't want Adam to screw it up. Okay? <laughs> if, he was asleep, if he was awake, Adam would have messed it up. So God's like, you go to sleep. I'll pick a wife out for you. Uh, while he slept, God took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then said the man, or then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now this explains some things for us. There's so much here that we could unpack. We're just gonna look at a few things. But this explains some things. First of all, it explains marital longings. It explains why we want to be with somebody intimately. Um, why, why a man uh, would long for a wife or a, a, a wife would long for a husband or, or whatever it may be. Um, the reason for that is because woman was actually taken out of man which means that there's a connection there, both physically and spiritually, that we long to have that oneness again um, in God's plan, being our spouse. Verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become, what, one flesh. Okay, so the act of sex is coming back to what God had originally made, that you would become one as he designed you to become one. This was God's intent. Okay, now this goes beyond the physical, and we'll talk about this more, but this goes beyond the physical. Something happens more than just a physical oneness of flesh, okay, when, when, when you become one person in active sex. You, you, this is bigger than that. This is a spiritual thing that happens that, that actually affects your soul, as we'll see. That's why, as we'll talk about getting ahead of myself, but that's why when you have sex outside of marriage, it affects you so much, because it affects your soul. It's connected there. Verse 25, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Okay, this is important. The man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. It's important because this is the picture we have of what sex is supposed to look like. Why? Because it's before the fall. It's before sin entered into the picture. It's before everything got messed up. It's what God had intended for it to look like, and what he had intended it for it to look like was that the husband and the wife were naked and unashamed. So what does that mean? Well, it means that sex for them would not, only have not had, would, would not only have had no shame, but also there would have been no insecurity. They wouldn't have been worried about what they look like. Oh, does she think I look fat? Oh, am I too skinny? Oh, you know, what, there's none of that, none of that insecurity that comes with that. There would be no awkwardness. There'd be no jealousy. There'd be no expectations met or not met. No illustrious, adulterous sex. No, um, none of that. Just pure and open intimacy between you and your spouse. Now, anyone that's married and anyone it knows that it's frustrating when you have to deal with insecurities. You, you don't know who, you, if you like who you are, or you're worried they may not like you, all those things. That's all sin. That's not the way that God designed it to be. Actually, God designed it to be very, very open and to not have insecurity, to not have jealousy that all comes after the fall. Now listen to this. Sex was not created by Hollywood. You understand that? Sex was not created by the porn industry. Sex was not created by the movies that you've seen. Sex was not created by the magazines that you've read. Sex was created by God. And everything that you have in your head, and we all have Ideas in our head about sex that are completely wrong. We all need to be rewired because God made it. He made it in a specific way, 
And actually, just parenthetically, one of the first things that God commands is that we would go forth and be fruitful. That's have sex. I want you guys to look around. Everyone in here was, is a byproduct of somebody having sex. That's just obvious, okay? You know, if you're wondering, who does that? Who, who, oh, we're all here because of that, okay? We just get that out there. This is God's first command. Go be fruitful. Go make babies. God made it. It's good. Amen? All right. What is the purpose of sex? What is the purpose of sex? If you're taking notes, five quick things on this. Number one, it's to unite you and your spouse. It's to unite you and your, we covered this a little bit already. God said that he made them man and woman and they're to come together to become one flesh. This is how we stay connected. It's a way by which husband and wife can stay connected throughout marriage. Because if you guys know, when you're married, life comes into the picture, kids come into the picture and you get disconnected. My wife and I just had our second baby and life's crazy. It's crazy. You know, I mean, he's up, he's awake, he needs food, she needs food, all this stuff. This is, this is something in our marriage that can constantly bring us back together. Um, I'm doing a lot of this. I, I need to stop that. I, I'm like, what's the sign language here for, for sex? I, I just, I don't know where to put my hands. I'm just going <laughs> to, I'm just going to put them right here, okay? It's just to unite you and your spouse. <laughs> Oh, man. Seriously, though. Um, I would second it only to prayer. I mean, the, the times of my, that, that you have intimacy with your wife are, are like the times of prayer, the times where, where you're intimate with your wife. Um, it's the times of the closest times that you have. And it, it shouldn't be awkward. It shouldn't be weird. Um, it should be something that's beautiful. It should be something that, that, that we should do a lot with our wives and enjoy because God made it. Now, secondly, what's the purpose of sex? It's to serve your spouse, okay? Now, this is, again, this is where our culture has given us a false idea of sexuality, and that is that sex is to be enjoyed by you, that it's a self-serving, selfish act, okay? Something that you do in order to receive pleasure. Now, if we're all animals and we were created, uh, we weren't created, but we're evolved, then yeah, maybe that is the point of it. But the reality is, is we have a bigger view than that. Okay, we have a bigger view of that. Our view is that sex is not simply just to be served. It's not simply just to find pleasure in something. It's actually to serve. Now, 1 Corinthians 7, 3 through 5, Paul says this. He says, husband, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreements for a limited time, that you may devote yourself to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, the sex that Paul is alluding to there is very much service-oriented. It means that, that this is an opportunity for me to die to myself and to show my wife that I love her. Now, anyone that's married knows that women are wired differently than we are. They want to be romanced. They want to be loved starts in the morning, make them breakfast. You know what I'm saying? Um, it's, 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 it's more of a service for them. It's not just about your pleasure. It's about serving them, and that is a picture of the gospel. It's an opportunity to die to yourself and to put them as more important and more valuable. Number three, what is the purpose of sex? Obviously, to have kids, right? To procreate, okay? And I don't even have to say that. I don't know why I put it on there. 
Control over having kids has never been, and you never had this much control. I mean, this is historically something, I think it's just in the last maybe 100 years, that you can be like, oh, I'll take this pill, don't ever have to worry about it. I mean, before you had sex, you're having babies. You, mean, you know, that's just the reality of it. Um, you could do the whole chart thing, doesn't work, just saying. I have two kids in three years, don't want to talk about it. Um, <laughs> glad, I'm glad you guys, you guys are all going to know me so much better after this teaching. I mean, we're just going to be like... Glad my wife's not here. Oh, she's watching my kids. <laughs> Honestly, guys, like kids are the most beautiful thing. I think one of the most beautiful things about sex, though. I see my babies. I see my little daughter and my little son, and they're so beautiful and they're so cute. You guys see my kids? They're so cute. And, and I'm like, man, how cool is it that these kids represent a beautiful moment of love with me and my wife? That these kids represent something that that God brought together that my wife and I love each other so much and that the Holy Spirit has brought us together and now we have these cool little pictures and symbols of how much I love my wife and how much she loves me. I think it's a pretty cool thing. Um, Fourthly, what is the purpose of sex? To enjoy. We've gone over this pretty clearly, but God made it to be enjoyed, okay? It shouldn't be something that's, it's something that that God wants you to enjoy, that he wants you to to, um, thrive in. Fifthly, and this is kind of the more complex one that we'll talk about a little bit more, uh, the reason for sex is to glorify God, okay? It's to glorify God. And it sounds simple, but it's, it's a little more complex than that. Uh, to understand the ultimate purpose of sex, I think we have to firstly understand the ultimate purpose of man. And when I say man, I just mean us, all of us. What is the ultimate purpose of man? And secondly, what is the ultimate purpose of marriage? Because marriage is the vehicle by which God said sex can happen, okay? Anything outside of that is outside of God's plan. So to understand the biggest purpose, I think, of sex, you have to understand the purpose of man and you have to understand the purpose of marriage. Well, what's the purpose of man? What's the purpose of human life? Why are we all here? Look at Genesis 1, if you're still there. Genesis 1, 26. It says, then God said, now this is huge, let us make man in what? Our image. After what? Our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens. Obviously, a separation there between man and animals and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps in the earth. Man is not an animal. Okay, now, if you believe in evolution, then you could disagree with me. That's fine. But man is not an animal. Man is separate from the animals. He was called to be over the animals, to have dominion over the animals. And most importantly, man is not an animal because he's made in what? The image of God. You guys are... Image bearers of God. You are image bearers of God. You are created to bear God's image. You're not animals. Now, man is created with a purpose. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, 13. It should be up there for you. It says, food is meant for the stomach, and stomach for food, and God will destroy both, one and the other. Now listen, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for what? But for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Okay, that means that you are created for more than what our culture would say sex is supposed to be. You were created to be an image bearer of God, and you were ultimately created to bring glory to God. Okay, so the purpose of man, the purpose of man, you all shake your heads, yeah, is to glorify God. The purpose of man is to glorify God. Now, what is the purpose of marriage? Well, in the garden, right, God saw man, and he said there's something missing. Now, why did he say that? It wasn't probably just because Adam was lonely. I mean, I, it wasn't because he, he couldn't, you know, couldn't make himself breakfast or tie his shoes, even though that's probably true. Um, but, but the reality is, is God, didn't, God made Adam 
a rib, he made him Eve because he made him in the image of God. And what is God? God is triune. God is three and one. He's not just one, he's three and one. He's Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He is in himself, he's a community. And in himself, he is a relationship. And so when God made man in, it says, our image in Genesis, in order for man to bear God's image, man needed to be more than just himself. Does that make sense? So we're image bearers of God and we're image bearers of God within marriage and within sexuality because when we come together, we actually are a symbol of, a picture of, the triune God. This is a cool thing. Now, what this does is, what this understanding does, is it makes sex a bigger thing. It makes sex a bigger thing. The two things that we should never do with sex, and the two things that everyone does, is number one is to make it too big of a deal, which is pretty much what our culture does, and the other thing is to not make it big enough of a deal, which is pretty much what the church does. Yeah? Okay, so Don't make it too big of a deal, and don't make it too small of a deal. It's a big deal when you think about the fact that you are created in the image of God, and that when you come together with your spouse, in any way, including sexuality, that you're actually modeling the Trinity itself. And beyond that, you're actually modeling Christ and the church. Because God's ultimate intent for you is that you would know God and be known by God. What is sex? Sex is knowing your spouse and being known by your spouse. You say, that's weird. You're saying sex is a picture of the Trinity? Yes, absolutely. God makes nothing for no reason. It's all important. It's all for a reason when done within the context that he said. Sex is a big deal because it pictures a big deal. It pictures God. It pictures his kingdom. It pictures the Trinity. It pictures Jesus and his bride. It's immensely important. It's a very big deal. It's not something we want to get wrong. It's not something we want to worship, but it's not something we want to downplay either. So, what is the purpose of sex? Ultimately, aside from all the other things I said, it's to glorify God. It's an act of worship. It is an act of worship. It's not something that, that, that should be minimized to just get married so you don't screw up. You know, get married so you don't sleep around. No, that's, that's a horrible view of marriage. And I've heard that plenty in the church. You need to get, you need to get a wife because you don't want to stumble. Yeah, but that's, that's such a small understanding of what this is. I mean, God gives us an opportunity in marriage to actually model something that's an eternal understanding. That's the view we need to have of sex. It's a big one. It's a really cool one. And when we screw it up, we're screwing up something that's a big deal. And when we do it right, we're doing something that's a big deal, something that God designed with many intricacies. Now, I was sitting yesterday, or Monday, I went to Crater Lake by myself just to have some alone time, um, and on my way back, I stopped at Union Creek Gorge. You guys ever been there? Union Creek Gorge is really cool. It's the Rogue River before, um, I think before it gets into uh, the lake, and it's so dry right now that I could actually walk over that part that's like carved out by the water. I could walk over and go to another part I'd never been to. And I was sitting there and I was reading uh, my Bible, which makes me sound really spiritual. I don't do that all the time. Um, but, you know, sitting there reading my Bible and I, and I just was hoping the Lord would speak to me something. And I was thinking about this teaching and how awkward it might be and um, all these things. And, and, and it was really cool because as I was sitting there looking at this river, um, the Rogue River is pretty big. It's a lot of water, but what's funny about this section is that the water channels into this very narrow channel, and it's powerful. I mean, it's moving. It's screaming, and it's beautiful. And as I was looking at this and noticing the power and noticing the beauty of it, I looked at Psalm 98.8, and it says, let the rivers clap their hands. 
Let the hills sing for joy together. And just a reminder that rivers and mountains and all things powerful, all things beautiful, all things were created for God's glory, right? This river that I'm sitting here looking at is created to glorify God. That is its sole purpose, to glorify God. What's interesting about that is, you know, I could go draw water from it. We could, we could create power with water. We can do so many things with it. But also, if I just jump in, man, I'm going down that waterfall. I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. That has a very specific purpose, and it has a very specific context. And I think it's a great analogy of sex. God made it. He made it for a reason. And it's not something to be taken lightly. It's not something that, that's just considered play. You know, go find someone you're attracted to and go have a good time. It's, it's bigger than that. It's more than that. Okay, it's not just something you do because you have to because you're married. It's bigger than that. It's powerful. It's huge. And if you take it out of context, you're going to drown. Okay? It's, it's, it's for God's glory. Now, having said all that, and hopefully I painted a picture of the fact that sex is good. You guys get that? Is sex good, right? Okay, got that. If it's possible to glorify God through sexual unity, then it must be possible to dishonor God through sex outside of God's design, Right? And this is the piece that's harder to talk about. This is the piece that we all have to see, and it hurts. But the sexual immorality piece. When Paul, in uh, the New Testament, talks about sexual immorality, he uses the word porneia, which is kind of a junk drawer to just catch all of the sexual immorality that they were viewing and seeing and, and having to live within, much of it similar to what we see today. They didn't have the internet back then. They didn't have as much access to things, but it was a lot of the same exact things. He talks about porneia, which is sexual immorality. Now, sexual immorality, by definition, really is just any sexual act that's outside of God's design. God designed it for a certain way. When you do it outside of that, it becomes sexual immorality. I don't think I need to spend a ton of time on that. I think this is probably what the church has preached the best, is what sexual immorality is. So I'm not going to spend a a ton of time on that. But I do know the reality is is that we flip on the news, we flip on Fox News, can't go to Fox News anymore, anywhere and anything, and we're surrounded by the world screwed up idea of sex, and we have to understand why it's that way and how we are to deal with it. Now, Jesus said something really interesting. He said that it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, so it comes out, okay? And what he was talking about was the heart. So in other words, he was talking about foods and eating certain foods and not eating certain foods, and Jesus really just kind of blew everyone's minds with this theological idea that it's nothing to do with what you eat that makes, so if I go out and eat unkosher food, it doesn't make me sinful. In fact, the sinfulness origin is in my heart. Sin starts in man's heart, okay? That means that sex in and of itself is not evil, okay? Uh, That means that meth and pots and guns and nuclear weapons in and of themselves are not evil. They're just things. They become evil when there's someone behind them that's evil. They become evil when someone's holding the alcohol bottle that's evil, okay? And we're all evil. So anytime we get our hands on something God made that was good, it becomes evil when we screw it up. Now, It's important that we understand that because when you look at sexual immorality, you have to distinguish that there's a difference between what God designed and between what man has made. There has to be a difference. You cannot clump it all together. You cannot clump it all together. There is a difference. Now, here's a few things I just want to go through quickly because, again, I think you guys get this. I don't think I need to spend a lot of time on this. Um, We're supposed to be done by 8, right? Yeah, okay, sorry. 7.55, right. Uh, here's just a few things that culture is throwing at us, uh, a few ideas that culture is saying um, that we need to be able to address. So I'm just going to work through a few of them quickly. The first one is that 
as long as sex is confined to legal and consensual, then it's okay. Okay, in other words, so as long as you're not breaking laws, um, then, then that's fine. You can do whatever you want. And a lot of people believe that when they have multiple partners or they're swingers or whatever that may be. Um, as distant as that sounds, there's a lot of them in the valley. There's people that do this kind of stuff everywhere that would say, as long as it's not illegal, then it's okay. Well, why is that wrong? Why is that wrong? The Bible would say because you're harming, first of all, your spouse if you have one. Second of all, your future spouse if you don't. Third of all, you're harming yourself. You're actually causing harm to yourself. There's something you have to understand. The Bible does not separate man's soul from man's body. Do you understand that? Okay, the world would like to say it doesn't really matter what you do to your body. Uh, maybe, maybe your soul is disconnected. God doesn't say that. He says there's a connection. So when you do something that affects your body physically and sexual immorality, it actually affects your soul. There's a connection there that happens. So it doesn't really matter what government says is okay or isn't okay. The government doesn't say it's uh, illegal to cheat on your wife, but it's detrimental to your wife if you do that. It's destructive to your wife, and it's destructive to yourself. It's destructive to your soul if you do that, okay? So who cares what the law of the land says? Ultimately, we answer to the creator of sex, and that is God himself. Now, the next one is, uh, this is a big one right now. Sexual preference and gender is self-defined, okay? What that means is I can decide for myself what gender I am and what se my sexual preference is. Get this. This is interesting. New York's biggest public university system, okay, now gives seven gender options. Now, before I read those, I was scratching my head thinking, where do they get seven? I mean, I'm pretty sure there's a girl and a boy. I don't know where you got... I mean, maybe I could think of a few. No, get this. Seven. You have man, woman, obvious, okay? Trans man, trans woman, gender queer slash gender fluid. Don't even know what that means. Questioning and unsure. Okay, so you have seven options now. If you go to this college of what you can choose for what your gender basically is. Now, what is the core of this? What is the heart of this? What is the struggle here? It's an identity issue. We've been talking about this in Ephesians. It's that these people don't know who they are. Okay? Yes, there's some, probably some perversion in there, absolutely. But I think at the very heart of it, the very core of it is an identity issue. People do not know who they are, and they're floundering to find out who they are and why they're here. And so one of the things that's popular now to look for is, well, maybe I'm not a guy. Maybe I'm not a girl. Maybe I was meant to be something else. Maybe I was meant, which even those words are funny, meant to be. You know, maybe I was supposed to be a girl. So Caitlyn Jenner does his thing, Right? It's an identity issue. He doesn't know who he is. And guys, we shouldn't mock him and we shouldn't make jokes about him, even though I'm sure we all have. We should really, our hearts should break for that guy because he doesn't know who he is. I mean, he has no idea who he is. He's so confused that he would spend thousands of dollars getting a surgery to change his exterior, which actually does not change him at all. God still sees him as a man because he still is. Number four, the world would say pornography is just a normal part of life. Just a normal part of life. Everyone does it. It doesn't matter. The Bible would respond to that and say no because it's a fake and it's a false counterfeit version of true sexuality and it is abusive to your soul and it's abusive to your mind. You're destroying the real version of what God had intended sex to be over and over and over again to the point where Sometimes you don't even know anymore what sex is supposed to be. All you can ever want or all you can ever enjoy is what pornography gives you. Now, this goes for women, too, okay? Whether it be in pornography or whether it be in romance novels for that 
in that sense. If you're addicted to wanting that, that feeling that comes to reading a romance novel and, and essentially just makes you want to be with someone other than your spouse, that's, I think, personally, just as bad. Number five, the homosexuality issue, okay? Uh, the world would say that people are born homosexual. We have to talk about that, okay? You can, uh, you can, <laughs> I, I personally, I'm gonna speak for myself here, okay? I personally, and I think the Bible would agree, I do not believe that people are born homosexual. I do not believe it. Here's what I do believe, okay? I believe that all of us are born with specific proclivities to specific sins, I think that some of us are born with proclivities to sins of pride. Some of us are born with proclivities to sins, sins of alcoholism, addiction. Um, yes, uh, may, maybe being attracted to the opposite sex. Uh, whatever it may be, I think we're all born with those proclivities, but that does not excuse us as Christians. Okay, let me just draw that defining line there. As Christians, it does not excuse us to live in the way that, whatever way that we choose to. Okay, so for the believer that's struggling with homosexuality, my heart breaks for them, just like my heart breaks for the one struggling with alcoholism, just like my heart breaks for the one struggling with not sleeping with their girlfriend or boyfriend before marriage. Whatever this struggle is, I don't believe personally that you're born. And I also believe, guys, and I think it says this in Romans, we'll see, um, I also believe that it's a progression to get to homosexuality. I don't think it's something that just starts. I think that's something years after years uh, of allowing yourself to think in a way that is twisted, in a way that is wrong from what God would intend you to think, um, can lead to homosexuality. And you can argue with me, that's okay. Romans chapter one, let's get through this section and then we'll move on. Romans chapter one is the most clear, probably, section on homosexuality that we have in the Bible. Paul speaks to it very clearly. Um, and here's what it says, 122. Romans says, claiming to be wise, and I'm talking about non-believers, let's just distinguish that. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. I can't think of a better, <laughs> I can't think of a better illustration right there of pornography. To take what God made to resemble himself and then twist it into something that is disgusting and destructive is to take the glory of God and to turn it into an image. It's just as bad. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth. This is key, listen. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind and to do what ought not to be done. There's a progression here that you have to see. The progression starts once you exchange the truth for a lie, first of all. You say, I no longer believe uh, that I'm put here for this specific reason. And then secondly, it happens when you begin to walk in idolatry. Okay? Uh, how does someone get to the point where they will openly say, you know, I'm just, a, I'm a homosexual? Or how does someone, again, I don't, I don't, we don't need to make that a bigger deal than any other sin because ultimately it's all sin. But the Bible does put it in a progression. It says you get here, you start here, there's a lot that happens in between. 
And it starts when, listen, it starts when you make too much of sex. Okay, it starts when you make too much of sex because if sex is your God, then it's never going to fulfill you. You always want more. If anything is your God other than God himself, it's always going to leave you wanting more. Okay? So when I think of homosexuality, I just simply think of people that are just like everyone else, worshiping the wrong God. They're worshiping sex, and it's never enough. It's never enough. Sex makes a horrible God. It just straight up makes a horrible God. I'm going to skip these last ones because I, I feel like we, we get this. We know this. Um, why is sexual sin so prevalent? Why is it so prevalent? Because of what I just said. Because we are worshiping it. Because we've made too much of it in our culture. We've made too much of it. And that ought not to be. Now, this goes for the church as well, okay? If you're single and, and you're, you're, you're just worshiping the idea of getting married, that's idolatry. Let me just tell you, sex is great, but it's not the end all. Marriage is awesome. It's not going to fix your problems. In fact, it compounds a lot of problems, but you get to do it with your best friend, which is great, okay? It doesn't fix everything. It doesn't solve everything. If, if you think it is, then it's idolatry. That goes for the unsatisfied married person, the person that feels like, I am not getting the sex I want in my marriage. That can be idolatry as well. God needs to be that satisfaction in your life, not sex itself. Now, let me just say this. God is a redeemer, Okay? He is a redeemer. We're viewing all these crazy things out in the world, but we have to remember that he is a redeemer. Now, some of us in this room, some people in this room have been victims of sexual sin, okay? Have been victims of sexual sin, of abuse, of rape, of broken marriages, women being treated as objects, uh, people sold into the sex trade. There's probably no one in here that's happened, but possibly um, when I was in the juvenile hall ministry, there was a girl that literally her mom would sell her as a prostitute from such an early age, and this was an hour away in Myrica. I mean, this stuff is happening. There's people in this room that have been affected and hurt by sex. And you're saying, how can this be a good thing? How can God make something that would be so painful to me? How can God make something that my husband would be so addicted to that he would leave me for another woman? How can God make that? Okay, now to that, I have to say, you need to know this was never God's intent for this. You have to understand this is sin. This is what happens when sin takes over. There's a difference. This was not God's intent for sex, ever. You need to know, even more importantly, that God wants to redeem your painful past. That whatever pain someone caused you through the thing of sex that God created, whatever pain that is, he wants to redeem that, and he will redeem that if you trust him to do that. Sex was meant to be a means of life and joy and intimacy. So some of us in this room have been victims of that. Now, some of us in this room, probably more prevalently, have caused people to be victims some of us in this room have been the cause of the pain for others through sexual immorality. Some of us in this room uh, probably most likely have cheated on spouses, um, are addicted to pornography, have been addicted, struggle with possibly homosexuality, have, been, uh, have abused someone, maybe literally as a kid or even whatever. You, you abused someone sexually and, and, and you're in here feeling guilt and you're feeling hurt and you feel like the scum of the earth. And I need you to know something, okay? I need you to know that God can and will forgive you. As obvious as that sounds, you need to hear that. You need to know that God can restore you. You need to know that God can free you. And most importantly, or more specific to what, what we're talking about, God can redefine sex for you. God can heal that. He can change that. It's possible. Now, just in closing, this was really the heart of what I wanted to get to. Just, just what are we supposed to do 
in this culture that we're in. Okay, we're in a culture that is sex-obsessed, that's twisted it, changed it, ruined it, all of these different things. We've seen that it's good, but what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to react? Gay marriage just got passed, so everyone can pretty much get married federally now. Uh, if you're a homosexual, a homosexual uh, the transgender thing is blowing up. Uh, Oregon just passed laws where, you know, minors can do it without even telling and get sex changes. The government will pay for it, etc. What are we supposed to do with all of that kind of stuff? How are we supposed to act? And because the church has totally screwed it up, we need to think about this stuff, okay? The odds are you have a friend or a neighbor that is a homosexual. The odds are you have a friend or a neighbor that's a non-Christian that is either living with someone that's not married, that whatever, whatever it is, we need to know how to handle this. We need to know how to act to them. So four things quickly, four things, and we'll get to some questions, uh, which I'm terrified about. Uh, four things. <laughs> I'm like trying to go really long, so we're like, oh, sorry, we don't have time. <laughs> I'll just give them to Jeff. He can answer them. Now, uh, four things, okay, uh, that, that, that Christians need to think about when we think about how to react to our culture. Number one, uh, be realistic, okay? Be realistic. Don't be stupid. We live in a sexual culture. We just do, okay? You can't drive to work without seeing porn on a billboard. You can't get on the internet without seeing it. You can't go to the mall without seeing it. It's just the way it is. You have to be realistic about that. You can't go hide under a rock. You can, but... You can't, okay? You can't go live under a rock. So be realistic, and in being realistic, as parents, as parents, be careful. Don't be stupid. Don't let your kids just go over to anyone's house and be babysat, okay? Don't, I mean, even, unfortunately, pastors in this valley, we've just recently found out, right? I mean, there's crazy stuff. Sin is deep, and sin is bad, and sin is horrible, and sexual sin specifically. Um, be careful, Teach your kids, talk to your kids about this stuff. Brent and Jeremy are doing an amazing program, by the way. I'm just gonna pitch real quick. Uh, that, that basically is a milestone thing for all of our kids. So at different areas and different ages, we, there's gonna be tools for you to teach them and train them. And they have one specifically even for young men when they hit like junior high or whatever age it is. Uh, for dads to go out and have those crucial conversations with their kids about sex, this is awesome. This is good stuff. Teach your kids, be careful, okay? Number two, that's kind of the obvious one. But number two, and this is huge, don't elevate sexual sin. This is like the worst thing the church has done. We have made homosexuality the ultimate enemy. We're all throwing spears at the same thing, and it's the wrong issue. Is homosexuality wrong? Yes. Is it a sin? Yes. Is it the issue? No. What's the issue? It's man's wicked heart. It's sin. It's death. It's fallenness. That is a symptom of a sickness. It's a result of something worse. And the issue is not homosexuality. The issue is not the porn industry. The issue is not adultery. The issue is sin. Okay, it's sin. So if we're out there throwing spears at homosexuals and protesting and blogging and putting stuff on Facebook that, that slanders them and makes them feel stupid and makes them feel gross, then how in the world are we ever going to get the right issue? Okay, that's why I played that in the beginning. Jesus loves the rose, okay? We need to have affection for our homosexual friends. We need to have affection for them and sympathy for them to pull them out of that and know that the issue is not the homosexuality. The issue is they need to be reborn. They need a new heart. They need new desires. They need to be forgiven with the blood of Jesus that was purchased on the cross for them. Amen? This has got to be the issue. We cannot make the sin the issue. If we make the sin the issue, we're sunk, Number three, we need to reclaim biblical sexuality. How do we do that? We do that, about, we, we do that by doing what we're doing tonight, talking about it in a way that honors what God intended it to be. 
Talking to our kids about it. Talking to our spouses about it. Not making it this taboo, shameful thing that feels gross and bad and, and, and horrible and painful. No, we need to stop that. We need to redeem it. We need to make much of it, but not too much of it. We need to talk about it in a way that, that has a high view of it. And then lastly, and very importantly, we have to treasure Jesus more than sex. And listen, more than fighting for morality. It's really interesting. You guys know who the Duggars are, right? You, you know, this 19 kids and counting. It's this family. Um, my wife loved watching the show. Uh, they discontinued, obviously. Um, this is 19 kids. It's a Southern Baptist family. They, they, they seem to love the Lord. And um, the oldest son has always been like the poster child in a sense for like, you know, uh, not sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend before marriage. They didn't, they didn't kiss. They do the side hug. They have chaperones. And, and he's out there doing this for years. He's been that way. And then he, he, um, he, he became political, heavily political. And he's out there fighting for, um, you know, against abortion and against uh, all, all of these things that, that we all, all dislike. But the funny thing is, is the, the, the primary issue that he's fighting is morality. Well, as you guys know, a little while ago, he, he found, it was found out that he had um, done some sexual molestation things to his sisters, okay? Um, and then it just came out recently with the Ashley Madison thing that he had had multiple affairs, that he was addicted to pornography, they'd been to strip clubs, etc., doing all of these things, unrepentant, um, until he got caught. And, um, and everyone's like, what in the world? What in the world? And, and here was what I found interesting is I read his statement when he got caught on the Ashley Madison deal. His statement was, I'm such a hypocrite. True. I'm such a hypocrite. Uh, I was out here fighting for morality and yet at home doing exactly what I was fighting against. Now, what's the issue there? He's not fighting for the gospel. He's not fighting to give people the forgiveness that Jesus purchased them. He's fighting for morality. What a shocker. I mean, he can't, we can't do it on our own. We can't, the fight is not for morality. The fight is not to make our friends not do sin anymore. The fight is for the gospel. And if, our, if we're out there just trying to, to fight to get people to do the right thing and to pass laws that are, that are good laws, that's not going to get anybody saved. The fight is for the gospel. This is really interesting um, it's really interesting. There was a study done back in 2006 of all the different states, and, and, um, and each of the state is assigned a color, basically, based on who, which state has the most prescriptions to pornography sites, and you would be blown away if you knew which two it was. It's Utah, the worst ones, Utah and Mississippi. Really? I'm thinking like Washington, Oregon, California. Like, seriously? Those are like, okay, Utah, first of all, all Mormons, uh, Mississippi, not all Mormons, I'm sorry. There's a lot of Mormons there. Mississippi, that was a stupid statement. Uh, some Mormon's going to write me, yeah, I don't even know what you're talking about. Mississippi um, is like Bible Belt. It's like, it's like old-fashioned religion, Republican, conservative, all that kind of stuff down there. And yet, these are the two states that struggle with that the most. So what tells me is that, listen, morality does not fix the issue. Jesus and the gospel fixes the issue because Looking on the outside like everything's fine just causes you to push it down inside. And that's, that's why. They all look good on the outside, but ultimately on the inside. Now, I'll close with this. There's a story in the New Testament about a woman who's sitting at a well, and this is, an, this is a promiscuous woman. This is a woman that had slept around, that had many husbands, that, that, that was very sexually promiscuous, okay? And here comes Jesus. She doesn't know who he is. 
He's a man, he's a Jew, so it's weird that he would even come up and talk to her to go out of his way um, into Samaria to talk to this woman. And he sits down at the well and he has this conversation. You guys know the story. Um, and he begins to talk to her about water. And, 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 and she's so confused because she's thinking about the physical aspects of the water and not having a bucket and blah, blah, blah. And he's trying to get into her head, hey, I actually have living water for you. And then it ends up coming around to the point where she realizes that he knows everything she's done which is like an oh man moment, right? Oh man, he gets, he knows what I did. He basically says, yeah, you have many husbands. In other words, you've been sleeping around. You've been so sinful. And then she goes and she, she begins to tell everybody about Jesus and she says, this is a man that told me everything that I did. But here's the interesting thing about our perfect example. Jesus is the best example, right, when it comes to anything and everything how he encounters a sinfully promiscuous woman, what he does, the first thing that he does is he tells her, you need living water. He doesn't say, hey, stop having sex. Cut it out. Go, go. you know what, you just need to be a better person and blah, blah, No, he doesn't do any of that. He says, you're thirsty. You're dying. You don't even realize it. You're drinking from wells that can't satisfy you. Here's living water, okay? This is what we need to do with our culture, with our friends, with our coworkers, with our neighbors, is not point, they know they're sinful. Trust me, they know they're jacked. They know they got problems. We don't need to sit there and beat them over the head with it. We need to say, you're thirsty. You need living water. So that's what Jesus did, am I right? That's what Jesus did. Can we pray that in? Amen? God, I just, uh, thank you, I love you, Lord. We pray that these things, Lord, would, um, Sit on our hearts tonight, Lord, that we would know how to better address this issue. And God, I pray you would give me strength now and answers in Jesus' name. Amen.